Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next Door. Boy, I just love the name, The Universe Next Door. I'm sorry, I just get carried away at times, but because it's the name of a great book, I really should just shout that name because it is a powerful book on worldviews, and I'm going to plug it. It is the greatest book, in my view, ever written in the history of modern Christianity to really explain the basic worldviews that are contending for the allegiance of everybody out there in the world today. So I think, Nick Shalna, you have heard of uh, this book by Jim Sire. Yes, and I've been looking at it on your shelf for quite some time. I don't see it now, but... <laughs> I think uh, I think I have like three or four different editions. <laughs> I, if I remember the newest white edition, I wonder if that's any relation to the white album of the Beatles. Probably. Ah, that, I that's think you gone. have three yeah. or four editions of every yeah, book. Yeah, that's, that's funny. So anyway, so the, no, the, the interesting f- uh, factor here is that uh, the the late Jim Sire, he just passed away. He's with the Lord Jesus Christ in heaven. But he wrote this book originally in somewhere, I would say, the mid to late 70s. And the original edition was great. And then the second edition was greater. And then the third edition was yet another improvement. And just, you know, fifth, fourth, and fifth, and sixth. And now it is the standard explanation of not only Christianity, but the what's called Eastern Monism and the Hindu-Buddhist worldview. And it's the best explanation for the New Age movement. It's an incredible chapter, about 45 pages long. I think it's the longest chapter in the book. And it's the best explanation for, uh, in my view, nihilism, or some people like to pronounce it nihilism. And nihilism is the view that there is no purpose in life. You know, just eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. There is no purpose for being here. And then it is the best explanation and kind of thorough explanation of the ins and outs, the assumptions and beliefs of atheist materialism and existentialism and Islam and postmodernism. So all the isms, the religions... I mean, it doesn't go into cults, but the major worldviews are very accurately and very beautifully, I mean, in the sense of, wow, you understand it, you get it, presented, and they're very fairly critiqued. And so I want to dedicate this program to the memory of not only a great teacher, a great mentor, a great apologist, Jim Sire, I want to also dedicate it to all those out there in the world of apologetics who are taking that torch that he split into a thousand, yea, even a million little bitty torches and handed them all to us. And I'm I'm so privileged to be one who's bearing that little micro torch and I'm carrying it on as you are, Nick Shalna, in your own realm here. On the Universe Next Door, um, I think we got permission from InterVarsity Press to name the program after 
the book, didn't we? Yes, we did. <laughs> <laughs> I'm answering my own question there. Especially when I told University Press, oh, by the way, we'll be plugging the book from time to time. Oh, how can we help you? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> that was the breakthrough. So, okay, University Press, get ready for another wave of orders. So we are so excited to be talking about this uh, realm of the worldviews that are out there and how we can reach them, how we can, to use Paul's terminology, tear down the strongholds. Now, you know, that's kind of aggressive language, but it's what it is, it's trying to take the lofty cities, the mental worldview cities that are erected by the efforts of mankind that are at variance with, that disagree with fundamentally the truth picture presented by God himself. Some of it rooted in our own common sense. Some of it can be discovered by the, the uh, toil of scientists, such as that the world is designed. That's pretty clear. You can understand that just by looking at it scientifically. And then some of it really only is really revealed through the actual recording of God, as it were, coming in through prophecies, through Scripture, through Christ himself, and then revealing the way back to himself. But um, I'm, I'm really struck by the way that Paul brings it to a head in the book of 2 Corinthians. And there's something very special about that whole book. 2 Corinthians in chapter 2 through 5 talks about the new covenant. And I've always had a special fondness for the teaching of Paul in that section because he, he talks about the old covenant that was written on stone. And then he says the new covenant was written by the Spirit of God on the hearts of people. And we are ambassadors of Christ. We are the the beneficiaries of, and we are actually the ministers of this new covenant that was described somewhat in Isaiah, but especially in Ezekiel 36, which said, I will put my spirit within you. I'll write my laws in your hearts, but I will make you a new people, and I will take out that heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Wow, that was a key verse in the Lee Strobel story, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know his wife was praying that for him, and God made a great apostle, a great apologist uh, from that, uh, that prayer right from the New Covenant passage in Ezekiel 36. Well, uh, we, we find this whole, you know, this whole section of 2 Corinthians kind of come to a climax, an early climax in, in verse uh, 17 of 2 Corinthians 5. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's the kind of the almost like the battle cry of how people are transformed. You know, so in Christ, we are new people. He made us, um, you know, into literally the image of Christ, or he is making, remaking us in the image of Christ. He's reconciling the world to himself. He made him, Christ, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Wow. That means I'm going to be cleaned up. I'm going to be completely turned into that beauty, that moral perfection, that winsomeness, that attractiveness of Christ at the end of my journey? Yes. Count on it. Look forward to it. Oh, my goodness, I can't wait. Well, maybe I can wait. In other words, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I want to pass away today, but I'm, I'm excited to know that there is a happy ending to my story and to your story if you know Christ. So that 
crucial passage kind of winds its way. There's a section on giving, beautiful, on chapter 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. And at the end of that section, Paul comes to a conclusion. He has a kind of a personal ending to the letter. I won't get into that, chapters 11, 12, and 13. But there's a kind of a, a, a point at which Paul says, Now, uh, I want you to be aware that there is a, a, a contention for the truth out there. And that's what I want to bring us to for today. He says, Now I, Paul, I'm starting at chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. He says, Now I, Paul, myself, am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent, being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. And here's the key point. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. That is, they're not fleshly. They're not weak. They're not built on man's ideas. But they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Wow. I love that pair of verses, verses 4 and 5, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that is, they're not weak and fleshly, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So today, I want to just think with you about some of these as as we are each commissioned in our own arena, in our own niche in this world to reach out and to do a little bit of sabotage. You know, um, C.S. Lewis says that we are uh, stationed behind enemy lines. I think that's kind of interesting analogy. Yeah. So he says, you know, basically God has enlisted us. He's, he's got us connected by his radio network, and he's giving us instructions as we gather each Sunday. And he, he, he's ready for us to go out there and blow up some enemy ammo dumps. Uh, so what what he says here in this passage is we can actually tear down the fortresses of those philosophies that are uh, ready to or actually engaged in an attack on the truth. And the way you do that is using power weapons that he has supplied. I was asking my class uh, just in the last day or so, what are some of these power weapons that he's supplied? And I think that one of the things that I, I wanted them to see is that the Bible supplies often the answer to what these power weapons are. And one of the key passages we kept going back to is Ephesians 6. And Ephesians 6 says we are engaged in a spiritual uh, toe-to-toe match I mean, you talk about one of those scenes in the Star Wars movies 
you know, Nick, I love uh, to watch Star Wars movies. I, th- I don't know if you are a, a, a fan to some extent. Oh, yeah, I love Star Wars. Yeah. And so when you see some of those battle scenes, I mean, I've never seen a Star Wars movie without one or two or six or ten of these, you know, duking it out with their lightsabers. But when you see the battle scenes, it's uh, staggering. I mean, you see, you know, whole pieces of machinery flying across the room as they're cut off at their base with with some, you know, lightsaber, and and they're crashing here and going there. And, you know, these... Um, Phasers, I guess they're called, these little blasters. They're going right and left. And then they, sometimes there's, 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 you know, it just ramps to a whole new level. Well, the, the power blaster, the laser, the lightsaber that's given to the Christian is the Word of God. So that should be at the top of our list. According to Scripture, that is the one guaranteed power weapon. And, and in apologetics, I think sometimes we forget that when we're using, and I do use scientific evidence, I use it with some great frequency. I like to use fossil evidence. I like to talk about DNA. I like to explain the structure of molecular machines and how they cannot be built by random, um, you know, accidental, you know, adding one piece at a time because you don't get function until all the parts are there. They have this quality of irreducible complexity, as Professor Michael Behe at Lehigh University has brought out. But then I sometimes forget to bring that right back into Romans 120. I mean, it's a natural fit. And so I think one of the things that we can do a better job at is integrating our science and our evidence from science with Scripture. And sometimes Scripture already lays out truths that science later discovers such as Zechariah t- chapter uh, 12, verse 1, describes the universe as being stretched out. Uh, three times in the chapters of um, Isaiah 40 through 45, not once, not twice, but three times in those chapters, Isaiah the prophet says, the Lord has stretched out the heavens. It's echoing the same thing, that concept that Zechariah said just uh, two centuries later. Well, wh- what's the significance of that? Simply this, the universe is being stretched out. But scientifically, he, they could not have known that. God gave them that view, that description, that over, overarching picture of the universe. And then later, much later, like maybe 25 centuries later, the universe was found by scientists in the early 20th century to be in a state of constantly stretched out, bigger and bigger, thinner and thinner. It's expanding. So I think that the scientific evidence that is one of these really crucial um, weapons or tools, you could also describe the each of these as a tool, is to be used along with science. Okay, so there are two of them, scripture and scientific breakthroughs. How about personal testimonies of those who have come to faith? I think that's important. Paul uses his personal testimony many times, uh, three times in the book of Acts. And if, there, and if he used it just, just in the book of Acts three times, Nick, do you suppose he ever used it other than the three times that are recorded in the book of Acts? I would assume so. <laughs> <laughs> Safe assumption. I mean, if we tallied from beginning to the end of his Christian life, he probably used it dozens, if not hundreds of times. I, I share my testimony of coming to faith in college 
as often as I have an opportunity. And sometimes it helps people not to tune me out because, you know, if I'm talking about science, they may tune me out. If I, even if I'm talking about some scriptural truth, they may tune me out. Usually if I say, let me tell you my story, they snap back in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're going to tell a story. Okay, I want to hear your story. Um, so, yeah, I think testimony. So there's a third power weapon, a power tool that we can use to just, you know, kind of get people engaged and thinking as we try to pull apart, pull down these fortresses of thought that oppose Christianity. Let me give a, a, a fourth uh, power tool. I think testimonies even of non-Christians. Now, that's a shockeroo, but we've been talking about this, haven't we? Gamaliel, you know, yeah. the story yeah. in, in uh, Acts chapter 5, uh, we, we've been uh, d- discussing from time to time over the last oh, year or two, and especially since, uh, Nick, since we've had the blessing of your leadership and and your tech, uh, you know, editorship here of this uh, radio cast, broadcast, podcast, we know that in the last 20 years, actually last 40 or 50 years, God has raised up dozens of modern-day Gamaliels. Now, by Gamaliels, we, we mean somebody who's like the biblical uh, Old Testament scholar under whom Paul studied, mentioned in Acts 5, he was the one that spoke out and prevented the disciples from being severely, and I mean maybe even killed, uh, executed. Uh, they Instead, they just got a little bit of a, of a whipping. And so Gamaliel stood up and said, you know, uh, let these guys, you know, just, just kind of treat them with uh, g- some gentleness degree of respect or, or control because they might be right. You know, you never know. They, they, they may be wrong, and if they're wrong, they'll just f- f- fizzle away. I'm using my own description, but that's basically what he says. You know, if we, if we look back, we see people like this Jesus guy who claimed to be something, claimed to be Messiah, and they fizzled. And so if these, if, if these guys are following another faker, another charlatan, they'll, he'll, they'll fizzle too. But if they're not following a charlatan, if they are right, then you'll be fighting God. So be, be careful. So this is a voice supporting, at least partially, at least vindicating or saying they could be right. And so now we have even a modern day, Gamaliel just came out in the last couple of weeks, Galerner, Galerter, I hope I'm saying it right, has been interviewed by uh, Peter Harrison of the Hoover Institute. You can see that video on YouTube. Just Google Steve Meyer, uh, David, and it's spelled G E L. E R N T E R. And Yale will probably yeah, help too yeah. if you type Yale, that. Yale, yes. Yale professor uh, opposed or leaves Darwinism. Um, in the Claremont Review of Books, he, a uh, conservative journal, he actually went public and said, I'm, I'm done. I'm through. I'm leaving Darwinism. And that was another shot heard around the world. And now people, even George Weigel, the biographer, of uh, the late um, Pope John Paul II, who's been silent, completely silent on this issue, came out and said, look at this. Look at what he says. You know, he's, he said he has, has left Darwin based on the reading of Steve Meyer's book. Oh, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> Steve Meyer, who's their guest speaker for our C.S. Lewis Society banquet, yes. October 10th. Let me do a little. Are you ready to pick him up at the airport? Oh, that's going to be fantastic. <laughs> 
Way to go. Thank you, Nick. So, but we have, uh, you know, again, the, the privilege of a close relationship uh, through this radio program, through just, you know, through the years working closely with Steve Meyer. Well, Steve Meyer's book, Darwin's Doubt, the critique of Darwin's theory based on the fossil evidence of the Cambrian explosion was exactly the key point that brought through the reading of that book and the follow-up book, Debating Darwin's Doubt. Wow. In which they responded to every single significant criticism of the book and basically completely obliterated any reason for opposing the book. Uh, At least, you know, answered thoroughly and completely every supposed objection to the, to the, the credibility, the cogency of their argument. And so he read both Darwin's Doubt and Debating Darwin's Doubt. He read David Berlinski's provocative book, uh, the, the Deniable Darwin and other essays. And so as, you, as I was watching that video of Peter Harrison uh, interviewing both Berlinski, but especially Steve Meyer and David Galerner, I thought, wow, another Gamaliel. God raises up people, both Christians with testimony of having been saved and even non-Christians who give a sort of kind of a weird but still wonderful testimony outside of the circle of Christian faith where they recognize the truth of some key aspect of what we've been saying, uh, or at least the potential cogency and truth. We've been saying all along, uh, Nagel, Thomas Nagel, he's still an atheist. But he's one of the leading philosophers of our day, you know, respected across the spectrum of uh, philosophical thought. And, of course, his attack on Darwin's theory. And he says it'll be laughed at. The next generation will look back and completely, you know, just with howls of laughter. How, how could we have ever believed that Darwin's theory could have even possibly been right? So I think that this is very significant. I, I said to the class, have you considered another key tool, another key power tool? for pulling down fortresses is laughter or humor. And they looked at me, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I think that just, you know, the, the ability that God has given us to, to just have a good, gentle laugh. And I think self-deprecating humor is really key. If we can uh, make fun of ourselves, and of course we don't ever make fun of others, and, we, and you don't want to treat others unkindly. I think laughter is a key. I think theistic philosophy is a power tool that, that uh, Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 10, if he were here today, he would say, of course. Now, he didn't want, want to use the, the clever, you know, sophists' philosophical techniques, but there's, there's plain good philosophy, just clear thinking, and then there's the, the bad philosophy of tricking people. But good philosophy, good theistic philosophy like the Alvin Plantinga and William Lane Craig philosophy, that's a powerful tool to bring in and alongside Scripture. And then also narrative. I wrote on the board the, the powerful, um, winsome, attractive, perennially attractive, a power tool of telling story. And it could be our story, like I said, a testimony, or it could be just the story of something in history the story of why this false uh, worldview started in, in on sh- the shakiest of grounds. It could be the story of how somebody discovered that they were inside a false worldview and began to work their way outside of it, and so on and on. I even pointed out that uh, the logic, as, as spare and spartan and kind of uh, basic as, as logic is, logic is a power tool. 
God has supplied us with so many resources, but the greatest resource is his love. And I think that prayer for others and love toward others is the ultimate power tool. God loves you. If you're listening to this program, he loves you with an everlasting love. He died for you through Christ. Christ died for you, paid for your sins. He rose again. He shattered death. He destroyed hell uh, and, 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 and the, the grip of hell on anyone who trusts in him. And so if you will put yourself, your place, your dependence entirely on him and him alone, not trusting any good works, but trusting him who died for you and rose again, you have eternal life, guaranteed that free gift if you will receive it today. Let us know by writing us at information at apologetics.org. See you back here next week on The Universe Next Door. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in The Universe Next Door.